Well, good morning, Zoe Church. How is everybody doing today at the 11 o'clock? Come on, we're awake, we're fired up, we're ready to go. Um, I hope you're um, looking forward to what God is going to do today. And I'm just going to say it in advance. I know God's going to move in your life today. Um, I believe that, that amazing things are going to happen. Um, as you can tell, I am not Pastor Greg. Okay, I'm not quite as good looking as Pastor Greg. And I am a little bit taller than him though, so I'll take that. But... Um, <laughs> Thank you, Greg. Appreciate it. Um, but you know what? Um, I am the connections pastor here at Zoe, and every time I get presented with the opportunity to communicate to the church, um, I take it seriously, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to be before you today and share with you what God has placed on my heart, and I believe I have a word for this church and this time for today, and uh, I pray it lands on soft soil, but I want to take a moment and just thank Pastor Greg and Amber um, for being just great pastors. I'm, I'm grateful for them, and uh, can we show Pastor Greg and Amber some honor this place? Before we get started, um, I just want to issue a challenge to you this morning. Um, the challenge is very simple. It is be engaged. Um, there's a couple great ways you can be engaged, but the more engaged that you are, the more you're going to get out of this. And so um, feel free to talk back to me if you want. Feel free to take some notes. Um, I think the problem in the church is not that we don't hear the word. I think it's that we don't do the word. And we don't do the word because we don't remember the word. And we don't remember the word because we don't write the word because you, rem you remember what you write. My encouragement to you, if you've never taken notes, take out a phone, take out your iPad, take out a notepad, and write some notes today so that you can take what God does um, in you today to the rest of your week. And so take some notes, be engaged. Um, we are going to continue in our series today, The Proverbial Life. And last week, if you were here, you know Pastor Greg talked about alcohol and wisdom. And it was a great message on alcohol, one of the best I've heard. And so if, if you want to dive into that subject and you haven't heard it, make sure you go listen to that message. And uh, next week, Pastor Greg is talking about every married couple's favorite subject, sex. So you want to hear about some sex, you just come next week. And uh, I don't really know what he's going to talk about or what he's going to say, but you know, if it's, I'm there. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be good. Transitioning away from that, um, th this week, <laughs> it's going to be great. I'm speaking it into existence. Um, this week, I feel that I am on assignment today to call you to more today. This week, I'm, I feel I'm on assignment to break the mold in your life today. See, I believe that God can change everything in a moment. I am evidence of that standing here. When God changed my life in a moment, it changed everything moving forward. And so my prayer today is that no matter where you are, that God would break the mold in your life and that he would change you forever today. I believe breakthrough can happen today in your marriage, in your family, in your job, in your workplace. I believe breakthrough can happen um, with your children. And uh, today I am on assignment to call you to more. This message is going to be a little different. It's going to be a little heavier and it's going to be a little deeper because where we're going is deadly. It's going to be heavier. It's going to be deeper because where we're going is deadly. And what we're going to talk about today has been killing families, killing husbands, killing wives, killing churches, killing leaders, and, and killing Christianity in the world. And so it is going to be heavier, it is going to be deeper. Um, before we continue listening to me flap my gums, um, 
I want to invite the Holy Spirit to be in here today. And so just pray with me. Bow your heads. Jesus, oh, Lord, just fall fresh on us, Lord, like the morning dew, Lord. I pray that, this, that the word that falls on our ears today would be fresh and new. Jesus, I pray that you would strike through to the heart of every man and every woman, every person who's afraid to deal with what we're talking about today, I pray that you would just prepare their heart and prepare their mind to receive more. Jesus, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be on us, that we would just invite you into this place, that we would just usher in your presence, God. I pray that we would breathe you in new life, new, um, a new future, God, a future that is rooted in you, Jesus, we thank you for what you're going to do in advance, and uh, everybody said amen. Are you ready to hear the word today? If you're ready, just do me a favor, slap your neighbor, and tell him I'm ready. And now since this is, this is the 11 o'clock, now slap your neighbor harder and say it with your chest. Say, I'm ready. Come on. See, I remember um, it all began about a year and a half ago for me. When I noticed something in my body that just wasn't right, it just wasn't supposed to be there, and I thought to myself, uh, this thing that I'm noticing is, might be something that's really bad, and I knew it was there, but I just kept living with it because I was afraid of what the diagnosis would be. I was afraid of what would come out of bringing this thing to light and having the doctor examine me. And what happened was I lived with this thing for eight months, I would go to bed thinking about it, thinking about, I know it's there, but I'm not, I'm not bringing it to light. And for eight months, I ignored it, I ignored it, I ignored it. And then one day, I had the courage to get up and tell my wife, we went to the doctor, and I was diagnosed with cancer. I lived with cancer for eight months. Can you imagine if I went another couple of years? Could you imagine if I went a decade? I wouldn't be here. I'd be dead. And it's because I had the courage to look the thing in the face that I was most afraid of in that moment. I had the courage to say, I, got, I know I got this problem in my life. I know this thing exists in me. I don't know exactly what it is, but I know it's bad, and I know it's probably harming me. And it was because I had the courage to go to the doctor to allow the physician to do what he needed to do that it was even revealed. See, I was faced with two choices by the doctor. Choice number one, live with this thing and let it kill me, not a good option. Choice number two was submit to the physician as he took a scalpel and he cut me open to remove that which would ine inevitably kill me. My prayer is that this message wouldn't tickle your ears. My prayer is that this wouldn't just be good vibes. My prayer is that this just wouldn't make you feel good about yourself when you go home and continue to live with the cancer that exists in our spirit and our life. My prayer is this message would function like a scalpel, that it would cut you open down to the deep cores of who you are, and you would acknowledge the thing that needs to come out. My prayer is that this message would function like God taking a scalpel and removing cancer from your spirit. See, I had to submit to the physician. I had to submit to the pain of the surgery, and it hurt. And I had to submit to the pain of the recovery, and that hurt worse. And I had to submit to the financial burden of the medical bills, and I had to submit to the embarrassment and the indecency that went along with wearing those capes that open in the back and your butt is showing. I had to submit to all of these things in order to live. 
And I think this happens in our life sometimes. We know that something is existing in our closet, something's existing in the dark corners of our life, and we know it's there and we live with it, but we don't address it and we don't bring it to light and we don't go to the great physician who inevitably is the only one that can save us and heal us. Oh my goodness. My prayer is that today that you would wake up to the reality that we are cuddling our cancer. That when you live with sin and when you live with things in your life that you know are opposite to what God calls us to, that we are existing comfortably, cuddling our cancer. We need to recognize that when something needs to be removed, that we need to take action so that it can be removed. And we need to recognize that sometimes when we have an issue in our life that we let exist, we have to submit to the pain of the removal of that thing because it might hurt. Sanctification hurts. We might have to submit to the embarrassment and the indecency associated with that sin coming to light. You might have to submit to the recovery process of your relationships being restored after they've been damaged because this thing came up. But I promise you, if you live with your cancer, you will die. And so my call today is to call you to action. See, here's the problem. I think too often in the church, we assume the church is like a day at the spa and not a day in the operating room. It's like a day at the spa and not a day in the operating room. See, what happens is um, at church, we think that this is an event. We think that we're just going to come and get some good vibes and we're going to get um, a spa-like treatment. See, we got the free daycare in the back. And uh, what we're doing is we want to kick our feet up, kick the shoes off, you know, um, reveal those old dogs, let someone clean them up for us. We want the cucumbers on our eyes. We want the lavender essential oils pumping throughout the building. And we want to exist in comfort while someone tells us what we want to hear. Give me the comfortability, don't give me the life change. This is the problem in the church because God has not called us to be a comfortable church. God has called us to be a sanctified church. And today, I need you to realize that sanctification hurts, and that's what we're doing today. That's what we're doing today. We need to realize that the word is not here to cuddle us. The word is here to cut out that which is killing us. And so you might be living with something that inevitably will kill you, and you are cuddling your cancer. Today, we're done cuddling our cancer. We're calling it out. We're going to identify it. We're going to eliminate it, and we're going to let God rehabilitate it. Are you with me this morning? You feel warm and comfortable while you sit in your chair every single week, hoping no one steps on your toes. This ain't that message. It's time to understand that the thing that makes us most comfortable is often the thing that's going to kill us. And it's the thing that's most uncomfortable in the moment that will inevitably put us in a premature grave. It's time to understand that we're not at the spa. We're in the operating room. John 15 verse 1 through 2 says this, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You got to realize that it might be cutting something off, but it might, or it might be pruning, but either way, he's using a knife. Yeah. Either way, it's uncomfortable. And today, some things are going to be cut off of us, and some things are going to be pruned from us, all to save us so that we can produce more fruit. It is to our joy that he does this. The cancer we're discussing today doesn't go on away, away on its own. It's terminal. 
you ignore it, it'll kill you. And I believe that the God, um, I'm sorry, I believe the enemy will weaponize what you don't neutralize. He will weaponize what you don't neutralize. The title of this message today is The Great Sin. The Great Sin. Do me, do me a favor, turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor what you think in the eyes of God is the greatest sin. Go right now. Tell your neighbor what is the great sin. We're whispering. We don't want no one to hear us. See, you know what's probably happening is people are most likely assuming that the greatest sin in the eyes of God is just the sin that the person on the other end of the political spectrum does and not what you do. See, we assume that other people's sin is the greatest sin because it's not sin that we do. We minimize what we do and we maximize what other people do. See, this is the great sin. That, if you are guilty of that, which every person in this room is, because it's human nature, you are guilty of the great sin, sin as am I. So what is it? It's like bad breath. You can't tell when you have it, but everyone around you knows you've got a problem you've got to take care of. Get you a tic-tac or a mint. What is the great sin? The great sin is pride. The great sin is pride. Look at what C.S. Lewis has to say about this. Make no mistake about it, pride is the great sin. It is the devil's most effective and destructive tool. Pride leads to every other vice. In the next, next uh, quote, pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind, and it is pride which has been the chief, chief cause of every nation, every misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Pride is the root sin. It is the sin in which most sin is born from. It's like the dad sin. It is pride births other sin. It is the great sin. It is the anti-God state of mind. And it is the most effective and destructive tool of the enemy. I agree with C.S. Lewis. Now, we probably all have a general understanding of what pride is. But the problem with just a general understanding is that that leaves room for culture to come in and manipulate and twist and turn the definition into something that serves culture and not God. So it's important that we define what we discuss so that we have a specific definition as we move forward. Um, see, if you don't define what you discuss, culture will inevitably derail what you determine. Yep. If you don't define what you discuss, culture will derail what you determine. So let's define pride today. Pride is a two-part para paradox, and psychology says this. Pride is, is two primary forms. The first form is on the screen. It is authentic pride. This is generally known as the good kind of pride. This pride has been characterized by such words as accomplished or confident. It is founded on the basis of doing something or accomplishing something. This is the pride that you feel when your son hits a home run at a baseball game. This is not what we're discussing today. This is not cancer. What we're discussing, the cancer, is number two. It is called hubristic pride. Hubristic pride is the pride that, you, that you're probably familiar with. It's characterized by words such as arrogance or conceited. It is founded on the basis of being something. It is an overemphasis on identity, and it is rooted in the unquenchable desire to attain 
acknowledgement and social validation. This is the cancer that we're going to discuss today. And it is way more perversive and dangerous and deadly and intertwined with our life than you could even imagine. So how does hubristic pride or, or pride, as we'll just call it, manifest itself in our behavior? You might think it's arrogance, like this says, or you might think it's uh, someone who's hard-headed or overly assertive. And while those things can be pride, that's not just it. we got to debunk this. Pride is also on the other end of the spectrum. It's insecurity. It's victimhooded mentalities. It is fear. See, I remember dealing with insecurity in my life, and I remember desperately just, just wanting people to validate me. And I was so insecure, and I did not know that what I had in my life was pride. And uh, you might see pride in anger. You see it in jealousy. You see it in arrogance. You see it in manipulation, and you see it in character formation like narcissism. It is everywhere. The question is not, am I prideful? The question is, where am I prideful? The question is, how am I prideful, and how often does that come up? We all live with pride. The, pride, the great sin is a human condition. The list goes on. You just pick a destructive heart posture, I guarantee it points back to pride in some form. While I love psychology and I love reading all this stuff, I love the Word of God even more because it's a lamp to my feet and a compass and my guiding light. And I think today we got to dive into the Word of God. Um, we are going to read our primary text. It is found in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. If you could open your Bibles or your phones to that verse. And... Uh, if you wouldn't mind just standing with me while we honor the word of God above what I have to say, we're going to read one sentence. It's on the screen. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud but give, gives grace to the humble. You can sit down. That's all it was. It was just one verse. Your legs aren't even tired. You're fresh. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, I got to stand up. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I think it's important that we pump the brakes on this for a second and look at this word opposes. This doesn't mean God has hurt feelings when there's people who have pride. It doesn't mean that God hates pride. It doesn't mean that God dislikes it. This is not an adjective. This is an action verb. What we need to realize is when we live in pride, God hates it so much that he takes action against us. Oh, my goodness. If you believe in the creator of the universe who breathed life into your lungs, who created the entire world, the eternal to the eternal, and you read this verse, this should instill fear in you. To know that my insecurity that's rooted in pride causes God to act against me. It takes actionable measures against. That is a terrifying notion. But the reality is there's a break in the sentence, and it's the greatest break in any sentence in the history of the earth. And it's, but gives grace to the humble, the greatest thing I've ever read. It's not just, we don't have to be opposed by God. We don't have to live in sin. We don't have to live in pride. We don't have to live with insecurity and live with arrogance. God gives grace to the humble. See, grace is the path. I'm sorry, humility is the path to grace. You want God's grace, you have to be humble or you're not going to get it. 
You're not going to get God's grace that we desperately need unless our heart is humble. So you got to realize that we got to go from pride to humility. And it is desperate for every single one of us going from pride to humility means we're going from God's opposition to God's grace. Do you realize that this morning? We have to kill pride. See, there's other verses in in Proverbs, there's about seven or eight of them, that illustrate the same point, that God hates pride, but he gives grace when you're humble. Point number one this morning is this, pride forfeits favor. Pride forfeits favor. We all desperately need God's favor in our life, and pride is what forfeits that. Favor is approval, acceptance, blessings, and benefits. We need God's favor. We can't live without God's favor, and we can't live in eternity with him without his favor on our life. Pride forfeits that very thing. See, pride has been forfeiting favor since the beginning of time, and you might know some of these stories, but I'm going to just start at the very beginning with Lucifer. If you don't know who Lucifer is, he was the, the greatest angel in creation, but he wasn't God, so it wasn't enough, and he lived with pride. And God cast him out of heaven into hell, and he became Satan along with one-third of all the angelic beings. He lost God's favor because he he wasn't satisfied with where he was. See, this is a human condition, and you're going to see this throughout the Bible the more you read it, that pride forfeits favor. And the humanity, we're going to continue wanting a bigger house because we're not satisfied with who God made us to be. We're going to want the next car the next sneaker drop. We're going to want more land, more influence, more Instagram followers because we are not satisfied with who God made us to be. We are forfeiting our favor when we live in pride. We are abandoning our identity as believers. See, it doesn't stop with Lucifer going to Satan. It goes to, it starts also in the fall of man with Adam and Eve. You know the story. Adam and Eve had everything. They were in the garden. They could eat from every tree. They had everything they could have needed, but the, the, the spirit of pride came slithering on in and convinced them that they didn't have enough. And so they thought, oh, we can do what God told us not to do and get away with it. We'll be like God. They lived in pride and because they were cast out of the garden. Every Bible story leading up to King Solomon, the guy who wrote Proverbs, illustrates the same point. It's that we are trying to be more than we were created to be, and that is pride. King Solomon was the author of of Proverbs. He's the wisest man and the richest man who had ever lived. He had everything he could ever need or want, but it wasn't enough. In the end, he was still consumed with pride. The very guy who wrote this verse, this verse was then enacted on him. The pattern is humanity has been trying to be more than they were created to be from the beginning. The great sin is a human condition. I have good news for you. The great sin might be a human condition, but God has given us a way out. See, we need to unearth and identify pride in our life because it is a cancer It is like a weed, and it is killing us. See, point number two is this. Pride's excavation requires biblical introspection. I'm going to break this down for you. To excavate means to dig up, to remove, to unearth, and to leave a hole. 
Biblical introspection is to examine one's own mental and emotional processes through the lens of Scripture. The only way we can identify pride is through working with other people that can help us see it, but through the Word of God as it reveals the dark corners of our heart. The only way we can remove pride is to be biblically introspective, to look at our life in accordance to what the Scripture says and make sure that we're living according to how God called us to live. You can't remove pride unless you're willing to dig up the root. And pride is rooted, psychology says, in shame. Pride is rooted in shame. And so to dig up pride, you got to dig up shame. To eliminate pride, you need to excavate the source. See, what I have here is a, uh, a beautiful display, a nice weed. You're probably wondering... Did that weed come from Dan's lawn? Look at this thing. When I picked this thing up, it like stung me, okay? This is serious, and it didn't come from my lawn. It came from Zoe's lawn, so you can talk to Pastor Greg about that one. But uh, the, there's a bunch of weeds. There's a bunch of thorns. There's a bunch of thistles in here, and there is bad, rocky soil. And the reality is psychology says pride is like a weed, and pride is rooted in What? Shame. Pride is rooted in shame. See, here's what happens when you have a weed, especially this big old nasty looking thing. Here's what happens is a weed impacts in a negative way every single thing around it. Okay, so if you plant a flower next to the weed, the weed will soak up the water you use to try to nourish the flower. And when we have the weed of pride in our life, what happens is every good thing around us gets the life sucked out of it. You cannot have good things growing around a weed. You cannot experience all that God has for you if you have the weed of pride living in your life, living in your garden. You wonder why your relationships are suffering. You wonder why you're having a hard time communicating with your, with your wife, having a hard time communicating with your husband. It's because you got the weed of pride sucking the life out of your relationship. You're wondering why you're having a hard time with your friendships. It's because insecurity rooted in pride, rooted in shame is causing you to damage your relationships. You're wondering why you can't experience something that God has for you as a good thing and acknowledge that it's actually a good thing because you got the list of bad things still on the forefront of your mind. The root, the, the weed of pride kills all the good things around you. We have to kill pride to experience what God has for us. But it doesn't just stop there. See, here's what we like to do. We like to take these big old bad boys right here and what we like to do is we like to say, okay, well, Dan, I don't want to be prideful, so I'm just going to be humble. And so what we try to do is we do this. Well, well I'm just being humble. I just snipped the top of the weed off, but we all know what's beneath the surface. What's going to happen in a week, two weeks? That weed's going to grow back. And when we just attempt to be humble, we are actually being inauthentic because what's inside of us is pride. And you can't pretend to be something that's not inside of you. So we snip the weed off and, it, and, and we're surprised when pride grows back in two weeks because we're exhausted from being inauthentic and fake. See, fake humility is rooted in real pride. 
Fake humility is rooted in real pride. So this doesn't cut it. See the pun? (laughs) We have to go deeper. We can't just stop with the pride. We have to go into the soil from which it is born. Are you with me? Listen to me, church. When you have bad soil, nothing good grows. See, when you dig up pride, you got to pull the roots out. You got to sever the roots and you got to go underneath and you have to excavate it, leaving a hole. The good news that I have for you today is that you are not hopeless. You are not stuck in your pride. You are not stuck with arrogance. You are not stuck in insecurity, always comparing yourself to everybody else. God has given us the very tool that we need to take care of the job. This is a big shovel. But guess what? God gave us the word of God that is our shovel and our illumination tool to remove that which is killing us. To remove the roots of pride and to excavate the roots, to excavate the shame that that pride is rooted in, and to excavate the guilt, to excavate the trauma that you might be living with or you might be behaving from, you have the tool that you need to start the process. And see, here's how it works. You get the word of God in your life and you start reading what he has for you. You allow this to illuminate your path and you start looking at your garden and seeing all that exists within there. And it's nasty and it's going to require a lot of work. But guess what? You have the tool that you need. And until you pick it up, you will never have flowers grow. You will never have the seed of humility planted and produced in your life, in your garden. So God says, pick up my word and allow that to excavate the bad stuff. So you read one day and it's like you just scooped out one weed. The next day you wake up and you open the word of God and you see what God has for you. And you begin to excavate the root of pride. You begin to excavate the soil of shame. And day after day, using your tool, you allow God to remove the cancer that's killing you. But it doesn't stop there. See, you have excavated. You've dug up, you've removed, you've gotten rid of, but you still have a hole that needs to be filled. Nothing you will ever do or buy or think will fulfill this gap in your life. Nothing. But I have good news for you this morning. And if you have never heard this, I pray this lands in your heart, and you never forget this. We are all left, even when we do the work, with a gap, with a hole in our heart. And the only thing that can fill that gap is Jesus Christ. And when you repent of your sin and when you submit to God and you submit to his authority, it's like Jesus comes and says, I got something that you need. I know you've been looking. I know you've been trying. I know that 
you've tried to buy a nice house, but that's not fulfilling you. I know that you're trying drugs and it's not fulfilling you. I know that you're stuck in an alcoholic or a pornographic addiction, but it's not what fills you. I have the only thing that can fill you. It is a new identity. In the name of Jesus, I pray you hear this. God pours out a new soil and that soil replenishes that which you've removed. You see what the word of God needs to take out of you and you allow God to replenish your soil through the resurrection and the death of Jesus Christ. He comes and he says, I got a new foundation I'm going to plant in you. I got new soil and in that new soil, I'm going to plant the seed of humility in Jesus' name. The, The seed of humility is given to us by God. Nothing you do will make that seed grow because you didn't make it to grow. God did. So when God goes and plants a seed of humility in your life, in the new soil that Jesus has given us, all he asks you to do is to continue using your shovel when you experience pride and shame. But then he, all he asks us to do is to take his presence. I don't got no water in here because I'd be making a mess. But pretend. He says, the seed of humility can be planted in your new soil, but the only way it's going to grow is if you come back to me. Is if you come back to my presence. And day after day, you come up to your garden, allowing his presence to run over you. Allowing the Holy Spirit to wash over your life, to to heal you from your iniquity and your sin, to replenish and regenerate your spirit. And every day, all he asks you to do is to water the thing that he planted. And nothing you ever do will get that seed to grow because you're not making it grow. See, it grows, a seed will grow because God designed the seed to grow when it's watered. Humility can't be manufactured. It will grow because God designed it to grow when you are in his presence. And eventually over time, as you sit here being faithful to his presence and faithful to his word, that seed will sprout. And you will start to see Humility come out of you, and it's not something you're trying to do. It's something that God is producing in you. And it's because you're being faithful to what he told you to be faithful for, too. See, what we need in our life is this. The main idea this morning is this. This is what we need. We need authentic humility because We need authentic humility and we need biblical dignity, but authentic humility is rooted in biblical dignity. If you want humility, you need to know what God says about you. And you need to stop trying to go to the world and go into Instagram likes and going to the things that are producing pride in you. And you stop trying to impress people and you need to start understanding that you're a child of God. That he has ordained you and made a way for you, and called you into his presence. And you don't need to prove anything to anybody. But because you now have Jesus, you have everything to offer everybody. 
Authentic humility is rooted in biblical dignity. You know who you are and you know whose you are. And so you don't have to be trying to prove anything. God has made a way for us to remove our pride. He's made a way for us to remove the roots of pride. And better yet, he's made a way for us to replace our shame with biblical dignity. I got to tell you a story. When I was a kid, I grew up with pretty severe anxiety and depression. I was lonely. I was afraid. I didn't do a great job with relationships. And I was hurting. And what happened was, right around middle school, all of that turned inward. And the traumas I had experienced now became something I blamed myself for. And in middle school, I came close to taking my life. And by the grace of God, he intervened, and I'm here today, and I'm thankful. But what I didn't know is that my traumas and my shame in my life were producing pride in the form of insecurity and self-hatred. And I was so lost. And eventually, about three months after coming close to attempting to take my life, I went to a, I went to a summer camp, Lake Geneva. Our students just got back. And there was a, a guy named Reggie Dabbs, famous youth evangelist that preached there. And um, I was literally there for girls. I was literally there just to hang out and to play games with the buds. And I was not there for spiritual stuff, and I wasn't there to be told what to do. At the time, I was an, athe- I was an atheist. And I didn't believe there was a God. I just didn't believe it worked. And what happened was we were sitting in service on the last night. And uh, Reggie Dabbs talked about ten things. Ten vices that we all struggle with, we all deal with. And he was going down the list, and I'm like, shoot, like nine out of ten I'm like, (laughs) I'm dealing with in my life. Like drugs, alcohol, pornography, it was just a whole list. I was a great kid. And uh, we got to number ten, and that was three months after I had come close to taking my life, and he said suicide. And I thought to myself, sitting there, that I'm not going to make any decisions here. I'm not going to stand up like he's having him doing. I'm not going to listen to this. I don't want any part of it. And he counted down from three, and for whatever reason, I was on my feet, acknowledging that that's something I dealt with. I looked around the room. There's about three kids in this giant auditorium, and I'm literally like, okay, I'm exposed. And I'll never forget, Reggie started praying, but the sound that I'll never get out of my mind was the sound of footsteps on my left and on my right. And it was the footsteps of leaders sprinting down the aisle and started jumping over kids. I was in the middle of this long row and they ran into me and sandwiched me and they started praying over me. And the summer before 10th grade was the first time in my life that I had experienced the love of Jesus and the presence of God. And I gave my life to Christ and I was freed of suicide and I've never touched those thoughts. But the work was just beginning. See, I was saved in a moment. But the, that saving moment was not what sustained me. 
was what sustained me was listening to my youth leader tell me that you got to go home and you got to read your Bible. You got to get in the Word. And it just so happens I read Proverbs every day. And what I realized is that God was illuminating my garden of weeds and destruction and shame and self-hatred and pride. And I looked at it, remember thinking, this is going to be a lot of work. But I remember taking my shovel day after day and like digging out little weeds, just day after day, just little ones. And over time, it started to be bigger ones. And over time, I felt that God was changing my heart posture towards him and changing my posture towards other people and changing my posture towards myself. And I just picked up my shovel and I started doing the work that he has called us to do. And from there, Jesus intervened. And he said, Dan, you're not going to be left empty. I have what you need to replace what you've removed. And the love of Jesus came over me day after day. And I began to realize that I had new, fresh soil. And this new, fresh soil was fertile. And my dignity was starting to be developed within me in the darkest corners of my heart, I started realizing that I was a child of God made for a purpose, made on purpose. That I didn't have to live with my shame. That I didn't have to live with the pain and the trauma that existed when I was a kid. I didn't have to live with the things that were killing me. That I didn't have to be insecure. That I didn't have to succumb to the enemy's greatest weapon, the great sin, the sin of pride. I could be redeemed because the blood of Jesus Jesus washed over me. I am on assignment to tell you today that it doesn't have to stay the way it is. You don't have to live with pride. You don't have to live with arrogance, insecurity, or anything that comes out of pride. You know what it is in you. You know what it is. God has given you the tool you need to dig up the roots of that thing, to replace your shame with biblical dignity, with the fertile soil of dignity so that he can plant in you what he wants to plant. He's the gardener, remember? We're not the gardener, he's the gardener. And he will plant in you what eventually will sprout when you water it. When you stay in his presence and you stay in his word, that thing will grow and you will see something coming out of you that you did not produce. I want to talk to two groups of people this morning. The first group are people who deal with pride, which is everybody. <laughs> but I want to talk to those who are willing to admit it. Those who are willing to be vulnerable, who are willing to submit to the great physician. If pride is an issue that has been plaguing you, whether it's insecurity or arrogance, you know what it is and you want to receive freedom and pick up your shovel and actually start doing the work that God has called us to do, I want, I want you to raise your hand in just a minute. The second group I want to talk to is the group of people in here that have never made the conscious decision to submit their lives to Jesus. And I want to tell you that God has a better way of living. That he has died for you, and he has given you the only thing that can fulfill the whole in your life. 
So first, if you would bow your eyes, your heads, close your eyes. I want to talk to the first group. This group, if you are dealing with pride and you want to admit it and you want to acknowledge it, you want to identify it, eliminate it, and let God to rehabilitate it, I want you to raise your hand. Praise God. My hand's up. Jesus, I pray that your presence would be prevalent in here, that we would sense your presence as great as we sense the physical elements in this room, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come on every single person that raised their hand. God, that they would realize that they are a child of God, that a child of God does not live with shame. A child of God does not live with trauma. A child of God does not live in pride. But because we are humble, you have extended your grace to us. Jesus, I pray that your spirit would flood the hearts and the minds of every person willing to admit that they are prideful. That is the first step. God, I pray healing over each person. In Jesus' name, amen. You can keep your eyes closed. If you are in this room and you want to make a decision to follow Jesus for the first time, this is never something that you've done, or you want to recommit your life to Jesus, knowing that he has paid it all so that you don't have to, I want you to raise your hand in this room. Praise God. Jesus, if you, if you raise your hand, pray this prayer after me. Jesus, we thank you for what you have done on the cross. We thank you that you have paid it all. We repent of our sin and we come to you submitting to your authority in our life. Jesus, we ask you to be the center of who we are to be our identity and to transform us. God, we ask you to replace our soil of shame with the soil of biblical dignity. We submit our life to you in Jesus' name, amen. Do me a favor and give it up for everybody who made a first-time decision to follow Jesus. There is nothing better that you could do. There is nothing better and you are invited into the family at Zoe Church, and you are invited into the family of God, and you have a seat at the table. And so I'm proud of you. You know who you are. You made that decision, and we are proud of you this morning, and we pray that you would now do the next thing. Pick up the shovel and start doing the work God has called you to do. Get into the word of God and allow that to uproot what needs to be uprooted. Um, church, I'm thankful for you. I pray that this message lands. I pray that you don't just leave it here and go throughout your week and go live in your life. I pray that it changes you. And uh, next week, Pastor Greg is going to be talking about sex, as I mentioned. So make sure you're here for that. Um, church, we are proud of you. And again, if you made a first-time decision, God is smiling down on you right now. And he loves you more than you could know. I'm going to pray and then we're going to dismiss. Our prayer partners will be in the front. And if you need prayer, I pray that you come get prayer. Jesus, we thank you for what you've done for us. That you have made a way for us when there was no way. Lord, we thank you that you have redeemed us, you have restored us, and you have called us to greater things. We submit our hearts and our minds to you. And we pray that this week that we would begin the process of excavation. That we would submit to the great physician. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, church. Thank you.